Welcome to Forward. Educate yourself on the new world. The podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance with your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Real chiropractic talk. No rainbows, no unicorns. Start putting in the work. The biggest names in the industry. The legends, the innovators, the up-and-comers. This is the podcast for progressive DCs. So buckle up. Passion is the feeling you have that you would probably do this for free, and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it. Okay, everybody, welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I'm your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. And before we get to our special guest today, I want to get through some housekeeping items. Of course, we talk about our sponsors because they support this podcast. They support the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. And hey, our sponsors are cool. We vet them. We make sure that they actually have good things to offer you instead of junk. So please show them some respect and give them some of your attention. Um, The one that demands, of course, a tremendous amount of your attention is the American Chiropractic Association. They are our hands-on partner and they have uh, raised their standards of membership, insisting on evidence-based care and working hand-in-hand with other healthcare professionals. You can visit aca.today.org backslash join to find out more about how joining the ACA can benefit you and your practice. And see if the promo code still works. Maybe they forgot to shut it off. FTCA is the promo code that can save you some money on your membership if you're not an ACA member yet. Hey, but you know, you should be already, but I won't even go there right now. The next sponsor that we want to get to is Pain Zone. Look, if you're listening to this podcast, you're listening on some sort of device. It's not coming to you by pterodactyl or two cans in a string. Uh, If it's your phone or a computer or whatever, go to ipainzone.com, do the thing with the thing, give them your name, get the free samples. They've got a new cream, a long-lasting cream that's going to get the job done for you, but you won't know until you try it out. So go to ipainzone.com, get that free sample, and then you'll understand why I wanted them to be sponsors of this podcast so much. Um, Speaking of which... When we come to people that I would want to sponsor so much, Parker Seminars, uh, they have this really cool event, but it's coming up really quick, so you got to act fast. May 4th, 2019, and we're going off the script here because Parker hasn't even mentioned this to me to talk to you about. So this is just like a little bit of, it's not even a sponsorship commercial, it's an events update. Parker Seminars is having their spring strength sessions in Dallas, Texas at their campus. Um... It's got continuing education available for trainers and DCs. It's uh, an educational seminar for coaches and trainers, chiropractors as well. There's going to be multi-tiered competition for both pros and amateurs and an expo area filled with vendors that support the strength and fitness lifestyle. It looks really, really cool. It's got uh, an educational seminar portion. It's got functional trials. similar to some of these other events that are multimodal in their approach to competition for fitness. There's also a great looking obstacle course that you can run through a couple times. And then if you want to bring the kids and the family, you can do that too. So check that one out at uh, Parker Seminars. Uh, I found most of my information just by searching spring strength, spring strength sessions for Parker on Facebook. Uh, but definitely check that one out. And if you're in the Dallas area, Oklahoma, all those places, you might want to come and be part of this one. It it's, looks really, really cool. 
Uh, one more sponsor that we want to discuss is the Miracle Wave Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies, Shockwave Therapy. If you've uh, if you're looking for answers to tendinopathies and soft tissue type injuries, acoustic shockwave therapy can be the answer for you. You just got to check it out by giving Mary Edna and Gerard a call or contacting them at info at themiraclewave.com. You can call them at 770-612-8245. And you can check out the Miracle Wave device itself at themiraclewave.com. So those are our updates. I've got two personal updates, too, that I take personally. One is that Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance itself has a huge event coming up in September of 2019. It is Forward 2019. It is our annual convention. We're going to be having it at Logan University. You can check out uh, information about this event at our website, forwardthinkingchiro.com. And uh, it's going to be huge. Our keynote speaker, Gray Cook, we're going to have Christine Gertz speaking. Uh, in addition to Dr. Gertz, we're going to have Annie O'Connor, who's a physical therapist who co-wrote a book called A World of Hurt. And uh, Brett Winchester, who's been on the podcast. He's a great chiropractor. Brandon Steele. I mean, the list of people who are going to be there presenting is is um, probably too long for me to go through through this podcast. But there will also be a student exposition and food and TED Talks and uh, cocktail parties and all that great stuff. And of course, lots and lots of continuing, edu continuing education hours for you. It's, it's a must attend. We're going to put this thing so big on the map that everybody knows every year you've got to attend uh, the forward event. So check that out, that one out. The other one that I have for you West Coasters who are listening, me and my good friend, Dr. Kevin Christie, who operate the Chiropractic Success Academy together, uh, yourcsacircle.com. We are going to have a summer retreat. It's coming up in June, at the end of June. And you can also check out that on the events page of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic website, forwardthinkingchiro.com. Uh, at our summer retreat, we are going to be discussing automation. Auto, Did I even say that right? I don't know. And outsourcing and scaling your practice. We are going to have Dr. Aaron Jorgensen, who's a great PI doctor, show you some ethical and successful ways to navigate the PI landscape. Dr. Josh Satterley is going to talk about how to uh, build and then build a successful rehab-based practice. And, uh, and we are going to be breaking out and talking about different approaches and goals to help you meet your practice, whether you're a newbie, middle of the road, middle career practitioner, or somewhere towards the end of your career practicing, because you do not want to get into business without some sort of plan for how to get out of it. And that's one of the themes of our Success Academy, including we are going to go see the Portland Timbers play some soccer uh, and for you uh, overseas listeners, that's football, right? We're going to be doing that together as well. So we're going to have some good times together. I heard there's a lot of fishing lined up as well. So after all that stuff and me rambling, this is going to be a long, long podcast because me and my guest really got into our discussions. And uh, I don't think we want to stop. I think I'm going to join him on his podcast. and We'll just kind of pick up where we left off. Dr. Ryan DeBell, 
uh, is a chiropractor and a movement fitness and health educator and entrepreneur. From a young age, he's loved computer technology, health and fitness. He combined these passions into several businesses, Movement Fix, which is a health and fitness education company, and the brand new T-Tool, a professional soft tissue treatment product company. He attended business school at the University of Washington and chiropractic school at the University of Western States. So please enjoy my interview with Dr. Ryan DeBell. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I am your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe, and I am here with a special guest. This is Dr. Ryan DeBell, otherwise known as, <laughs> as in my household, my friend, you are called the Movement Fix Guy. And uh, there's probably a, a nice professional trainer out there. My wife's uh, bestie, my wife's a trainer, and her bestie just loves all of your stuff. She buys all your products. She uses them on her clients. Uh, she's a happy camper when it comes to the Movement Fix uh, products that you produce. So, Ryan DeBell, it's a pleasure having you on my show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on here. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to know that people are using the products and finding benefits. So, yeah, very excited to be here. We are um, – it's almost like we're brothers from a different mother. We went to the same chiropractic college, right? Yep. Was it Western States Chiropractic College when you went there? I think when I started, it was WSCC, and then they transitioned, I think, my first year to UWS. So I technically graduated from the University of Western States. Ah, nice. But I went to the Harvard of chiropractic colleges, uh, Western States Chiropractic College. <laughs> uh, for anyone who's, who's listening and doesn't get that, everybody considers their chiropractic college the Harvard of chiropractic colleges. That's kind of how they sell you to go to their school. Um, so we get a good education there. You graduate and then you, how did you get involved in this idea of um, injury prevention, um, prehab, if you will, Mm -hmm. uh, mobility, mobilization, CrossFit, and then the movement fix as an idea. What happened here? Yeah, so I was, before I went to the Harvard of chiropractic colleges, I had spent many years doing CrossFit. So I came into school with a, like a bias of wanting to be involved in that world. So that was that was sort of the undertone of me even going was that was my intention. Then as well, when I graduated, I was going to work for another chiropractor, but the, uh, the let's say the negotiations of me uh, working there fell through at the last minute. <laughs> so like I, that never happens. That never happens in chiropractic. Yeah. Yeah. That, it never happens that someone tells you for years you can work with them. And then three months before you graduate, uh, it doesn't work out. So yeah, when things aren't in writing, they don't really matter. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> so I scrambled and I decided I was going to start my own clinic because I wanted to eventually do that anyway. So I said, well, I might as well just do it now and then figure it out. So in that sort of figuring out process, how to get people to come to my clinic, I spoke at a lot of gyms uh, CrossFit gym specifically because that was my area that I that I knew the best in sort of the fitness world, and 
Uh, so I gave a two, two to three hour presentation at any gym that would let me speak. And I put together a presentation on essentially what I felt was a missing link, which was at that time, which was um, 2012, mobility wad was super, super popular and thriving. And, um, and obviously like the FMS and assessments and things were too. And what I felt like was there was a missing link between doing um, an assessment and then doing some sort of intervention that people could kind of do on their own. So I went, I went after that because I feel like that was an underserved thing. That's, that was the premise of how I started. And it just sort of organically grew into events that I taught um, in different cities in the United States after people suggested, hey, you know what, you should turn this into a thing where you teach trainers things that you think they should know when they're working with their clients. And uh, a couple of people suggested that. And so then I decided, okay, let's see if there's something there. And it turned out there was a, there was a business there and a need and something that I could provide that was valuable for people. And so, yeah, that kind of grew into movement fix and that kind of the having events led me to making content on my blog to essentially get more events, get more people at events, get, get, uh, get the word out, so to speak. And that eventually turned into me getting extremely fatigued traveling so much. And I was like, there's gotta be a way I can, you know, like traveling 30 weekends a year, waking up at 4am on a Friday, going to the airport, waiting, getting on a plane, getting there, going to bed, waking up, teaching, getting on an airplane, flying to another city and then do that every week. It's very tiring. Sure. And so I thought there has to be a way that I could help people without having to, you know, destroy my energy. And so then I started making some um, programs that I thought could help people as a sort of first line of defense. So I I started making some uh, self-help programs. And yeah, that's just really kind of one thing, one thing led to another. And I just looked for the, where's the need that I can help with? Well, that's that's Uh, what happens um, when people step out and they, they try to innovate is you innovate in a way that you can see will work for, for as an initial idea. And then as you step out, people come to you and they offer you answers to questions that they offer you the question that you can then answer afterwards. Mm. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the average sort of like clinician in practice understands that concept of innovation because they're kind of uh, you know, like the, the punch in punch out chiropractor, which is, I, I am jealous of those guys that can just punch in and punch out every single day and do their job and do an excellent job and care for people. And, um, and, and I'm part that. And then I'm part, not that like I can burn out on that pretty quick too, but I don't think they understand that, um, that innovators are important in this profession just as well as the, the clinicians that are in the office every single day doing the good work are also important. Uh, it, it takes stepping out to answer some of these questions, solve problems. Oh yeah. And I mean, there's, yeah, a huge need for both. I mean, there are people that I know that love being um, in a clinic doing punch in punch out. And for me, it was like, I just didn't, it didn't suit my personality to do that. And I was, uh, so I was looking for other ways that I could, yeah, help people that it was yeah, sort of a uh, adjacent approach, I guess you could say. Yeah. And, um, and punch in punch out's not pejorative at all. It's, um, it's, it's quite commendable and it, it's what drives the profession. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you have a, 
you know, as I've gone through this, I've explored a lot of these thoughts, you know, cause it's sort of an identity shift. I went to school to be a chiropractor and yet I'm doing things that are quite different, you know, and, yeah. and you know, you're exploring different routes as well. And there was this identity crisis of, am I a clinic? Like, what am I? If I'm not, you know, if I was trained to be a clinician, but I'm not really doing that so much. And, and I realized that, you know, there's different ways that we can help people. We can like going and being in the clinic, you can help less people overall, but you can go way deeper. And there are people who really need that. Yeah. And then the route that I'm taking is I'm trying to help more people with kind of less, I guess you could almost call it shallower things, things that could be helped on their own with a little bit of guidance. Um, and things that they may not even go to somebody for, like, you know, people really let things get bad before they'll go seek care generally. Oh, sure. And, absolutely. And so I figured, you know what, there's going to be people looking on the internet for solutions before they seek care. And I could provide a solution that would help them because they probably won't even go anyways until something really bad happens. They can't even tie their shoes. So why don't I serve that need? And I, yeah, I can't help them as much as at as deep of a level as I could in person. And that's a sacrifice I had to be willing to make to go broader, shallower versus narrower, deeper. And we need both. People need both. Well, that's just how, I mean, what, what did we just do in this uh, CrossFit Open 19.3? I guarantee you there's tons of people walking around right now hurting. They're not seeking care. They just want to get patched up so they can go to 19.4. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, it's this, you know what, the, the people who are working in the clinic and their clinicians, they're, they're going to save lives. But there's also this surface problem that I've identified. And I tried to, I tried to get Craig Liebenson to touch on it a little bit in his podcast. I've tried to get others to touch on it who are rehab focused on when I interview them in a podcast. And it's this idea inside the clinics of um, rehab purgatory. You know, the, 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 the old thing that is sort of the negative on chiropractic was sort of selling people on long-term treatment plans of just being adjusted over and over and over and over again. And that can be problematic because it can build up uh, uh, clinician dependence, you know, doctor dependence from the patient, dependence on, on uh, passive therapies instead of active care. But then you see folks who institute rehab in their clinics, but they're really almost sort of like glorified personal trainers to a degree and that they're really just trying to, it's not they're trying to sell. They, they really do think that the rehab's good for the patient and they're selling like long-term rehab plans. And that's not good either um, because the person who is, who's exploring their own body really needs to get out and kind of test the rails and understand that they're going to have good days and bad days, that they're going to push and then they're going to, they're going to break and they're going to falter and then they're going to overcome things. Uh, mm -hmm. Self-reliance, you know, built to last is, is really the concept we kind of want to build in these people. Um, and just because you're doing rehab doesn't mean you're taking away their ability to do, have this built to last, built to last attitude, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So, so what you teach people is powerful. They should, they should, try to do some self-care and take care of it on their own first and um, yeah. mm -hmm. you know go ahead yeah yeah i was just reading a, um, a study about this that compared a home exercise program versus monitored exercise and um, they had similar outcomes yeah so like if you like if someone feels like they have to exercise in front of you for a long period of time then you know what happens when they're they're on a hike 
they're going to look around and be like, okay, is it okay if I step like this? Am I stepping correctly? Right. That's not a good, that's not a good mentality to have. I think that, yeah, there's a time and a place for manual therapies for manipulation. There's a time for monitored exercise when you're teaching someone how to do something correctly. If they just fundamentally don't know how to do something. And then after that, it's um, in my opinion, it would be some sort of uh, correctly programmed fitness program that can get them back into the real world at a, at a functional level. And then, and then they need to be set free and they need to like have the understanding of what are you know, good things that are good for me? What are things to look out for? Um, and like, for example, if someone was rehabbing from shoulder, from shoulder pain, they need to be instructed like, Hey, you know, you need to kind of think about your volume. You need to think about the angles. It shouldn't be painful et cetera, et cetera. But eventually they need to be able to go do their own thing. And yeah, getting trapped in that cycle is it's not good for the, for the patient. And it's not good for the clinician either, because I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can, <laughs> can relate to this, but someone comes back in and it's like, okay, we're doing this again. And it's sort of frustrating because it's like, there's no progress. It's like we're spinning our wheels. And I don't think that's good mentally for either party. Yeah. And in the research really does sort of point towards, um, novel movements in rehabilitation over over um, sort of structured movement as you said directed exercise you know encouraging people to just get out there and explore and i think that's why we do see um, physical therapy and now some chiropractic practices starting to incorporate things like feldenkrais um, yoga has always been sort of around a little bit but feldenkrais tai chi some of these things that integrate really unique novel movements just to get people to explore their bodies mm -hmm. and understand what it means to be inside of it. <clears throat> yeah. I was, um, as I think many people do, I was trying to clarify like, what is the business that I'm in? And as I was going through that, I realized it was, you know, it's helping people be as functional and healthy as possible physically for as long as possible. So one of the areas I was exploring was, you know, how do we get people to like advance their ability with their body? For example, like if you just do regular, like if a client just does regular like bodybuilding, how do we get them to start doing like some basic, maybe gymnastics movements or some basic uh, weightlifting, or maybe they should try some sort of combat sport. And one of the things that I've been exploring is how do I make an, you know, entry level programs so that people can try new things because we do get stuck in a route in a in a rut like okay i'm gonna you know i hurt my shoulder bench pressing okay now i have to get treatment now i'll just start doing that same thing again it's like over time it's like where does that go versus what are all the things that your body's capable of doing so exploring the function like not just going back to the same workout but what else is there there's so many things that we could do with our body like you could learn how to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu or kickbox or do handstands or, or whatever. It's, you know, getting outside of our, our, our um, little ray of experience with one particular modality and seeing that there are a lot of things that people can do with their bodies to stay healthy and active and feel empowered. So, uh, yeah, it's something I've definitely thought about that a lot, like in myself too. Like, I did CrossFit for so long and bodybuilding before that. It's like, well, what else is there? Like there, you know, there's worlds <laughs> of movement outside of that. So I started doing uh, Muay Thai um, and it was just such an eye opening experience. Like I have no neural pathways in terms of like how to block someone trying to punch me in the face yeah, or absolutely. someone trying to kick me. And it just made me realize that 
I felt like I knew a lot, but I was quite humbled in that I know nothing. And I would imagine, I don't know if, have you ever done like any sort of combat or martial arts? Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I imagine if I did like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I would just, someone would like pull my arm off or something. Like I have no idea even how to explore those, those movements. And I think the more that we expose ourselves and people expose themselves to unknown things, it's like, it's so stimulating because you start to think about your body in a whole new way. That's right. And um, yeah, getting, getting out of that comfort zone. And I think for clinicians too, like experience different things, you'll learn a ton. Um, it's really valuable experience in education. It's uh, Oh man, you might get me going off on a tangent here, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, uh, <clears throat> it's one of the, deficits of our profession like we sort of at at the clinicians themselves the practicing chiropractors uh they they get into their groove of what they you know what works what gets a person into the on face down on the table if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and what gets the bills paid and then they really don't want to mix it up after that and uh they sort of fit i i liken it because i have to go to um I shouldn't say I have to. I'm honored to go to Berlin to speak at the World Federation of Chiropractic, uh, European Chiropractic Unions Convention in next week. And what I'm speaking about is the sustainability of the chiropractic profession. But they've also asked me to be positive about it. So don't say anything negative. Like, well, there's going to be a huge elephant in that room that we can't discuss. Uh, maybe three or four elephants in that room that we can't discuss. But one of them is like in this profession, we think that there's two sides, like a left and a right, straight mm-hmm. mix or whatnot. And that there's just large middle that just sort of is a little bit of both. And it's not that at all. The, the, the profession is just this large mix mash of a bunch of different beliefs that are scaled differently that are all kind of walking together. It's like, it's like we have a, a soccer team with – 11 players on the field, but each player has a different idea of what it means to play soccer. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then we, we, we can't figure out why we can't win a game. And it's not like we have one player or two players that are distracting and then the other nine are just doing a good job trying to get along. It's like we have 11 different players who, who are following different rules. Some, some of these guys are picking up the ball and carrying it with their hands. Other guys are, are fouling every time they turn around. Other people don't want to you know, they don't want to kick the ball. They just want to run. Um, It's just like, you can't get anything done that way. And that's, I think that's the, the, the thing that also stoves people up when we talk about what's the best way to care for people, because these things are being figured out. What is uh, the NOI group, NOI group, um, pain, pain science researchers from Australia, they just came out with this great uh, paper about what are the best approaches for musculoskeletal care and people are figuring it out like step one step two step three this is the exact way to approach somebody in in musculoskeletal pain that is not doesn't have any red flags for any serious conditions and things like that so this stuff is getting figured out right around our heads and if we don't all stop listen to the coach and start playing as a team we're going to have some issues <clears throat> yeah it's it's really interesting perspective you know it I think there's something about human psychology that makes us want to think everything's either black or white, hot or cold. Sure. Like, it's, it's that I mean, problem, that, that pattern recognition thing that, that we're ingrained with. Yeah. I, I, I clearly remember so many times people like, let's say at Western States, like, Oh, I either did really, really good on that test or I did really bad. 
It's like, why couldn't it be anything in between? Why does our, why does our psychology, it's like, you're either a, you're either a straight Cairo or a mixer. It's like, it's so simplistic. It doesn't work that yeah. way. And no. I think that the soccer analogy is much more accurate. Um, I also believe too, that we've only figured out like 1% of the things that we're going to figure out. And we've only created 1% of the things or less that we ever could create. So the idea that we already know how to do everything is not true. Like there's so much to learn. We, we're just right. starting. If you think about human, you know, the history of medicine in the longer term, like we're just starting. Oh, there's sure. so yeah. much to do. There's, there's so much to do. There's so much to learn. Um, it's like we're in this sort of scattered time. And as we learn and develop and people research and we get more, um, more organized, let's say we're going to, it's going to change quite a bit. So yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's yeah. very, I mean, even in our, our world of taking care of people like this spectrum from, from dysfunction, from pain to dysfunction, to performance, to high performance, the, the spectrum that we, we kind of play with on different levels, that's only been kind of described in the last 10 to 15 to 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. and when you look at that, at that functional movement pyramid of from pain to performance and, and the little, the steps you can go through in between those, that's only been described in the last eight to nine years, maybe 10 years at the most. It's, there's a long ways to go here in, in understanding how we all play with each other too, like how the trainers and the coaches and the um, chiros and PTs and athletic trainers and then the orthos and the medical doctors, uh, we've got a long ways to go. Um, so before I shift over to conversations about business as you're trying to contemplate what you're doing for people and their bodies, um, mm-hmm. you know, just keep, keep doing, man. You're going to, you you are one of the few people that I have absolute confidence in is going to figure something out because I know your type of person because that's a little bit of me too. And that's, you're going to keep pushing until, until that solution just smacks you right in the face. I don't, you just don't yeah, work to me as somebody who, who quits at things. <laughs> well, my, uh, yeah, my theory on, on many things is that I will either figure it out or I will die, but still in pursuit of figuring it out. Like yeah. that's, those are the only two outcomes. Yep. But um, yeah, I think uh, just the to last point before we segue is um, personal experience is the best teacher in my opinion. So like if, if someone listening to this and they're like, well, I, you know, maybe I feel a bit uncomfortable with that transition from care to performance. It's like sign up, sign up for some classes at a gym that you're not comfortable doing and learn because yeah. then with, with the expertise that you have, in the profession in which you've been trained, you could go to a fitness class and you'll think about your body at such a high level from the beginning that you will take away a tremendous amount of knowledge. Then you can apply that to the people that you're working with. Uh, I remember treating a lot of people that did Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I didn't really get it. You know, like ref- reflecting back now, I didn't really understand the demands of that. Oh, and. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember them. Yeah. My shoulder, and my elbows tweaked. I'm like, okay, well I know how to work with elbows. Well, it's like, I didn't know what they were doing and had I gone and taken a few, just even a few classes, you'll learn so much. It's not like you have to become an expert in it. Just take a few classes of CrossFit or a few classes of orange theory or a few classes of like getting a personal trainer, like hire a personal trainer and take you through a couple of weeks, see what it's like. You'll get a lot of insight. Uh, 
So, and that's huge advice. Uh, No, that's huge advice, especially for people who, um, you know, there are people who've honed down their ideal patient, their ideal client, and they only work with that type of client. Mm -hmm. And then there are lots of folks out there who take sort of whatever kind of comes in the door with the insurance card. And if you don't understand what somebody's saying when they say, yeah, I, I, I exercise at orange theory, but you don't know what they're doing at orange theory. You're not really going to understand what they're saying. Um, I, I, I try to tell patients, you know, they might explain their, their job situation. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I'm not a chef. I don't know what a chef does throughout the day. I don't, I'm not a steel worker. I don't know what a steel worker does throughout their entire day. I really try to get during my history a, a really thorough, thorough, thorough explanation of what these folks do throughout their life most of the time. I, uh, sometimes I'll say like, uh, if I had a little drone, that followed you around throughout the day, what would they see you doing? Uh, you know, morning, morning work shift. At lunch, what are you doing? After, in the afternoon, after you get off of work, how long is your drive home? What do you do when you first get home? And I really want to understand what they're doing um, because, you know, I can't experience that. But I can if somebody says I, I, I go to Orange Theory or whatnot. I can, I can take an Orange Theory class, and I have. Um, the the, reminds, uh, the bigger problem I see here sometimes with the chiropractic profession as somebody who helps people or, or, or people come to me and ask for advice, I see people who just want the solution. Like they're not, there are a lot of them that aren't intellectually curious like you are, like you explain. Like, huh, that's, that's, I'm curious about what goes on in a jujitsu class. I'm going to go roll around a bit and see what's going on here. Um, They really just kind of want to go to somebody, get the answer and then, and then elicit the answer as if it's uh, like going to Redbox and getting a DVD. Yeah. Like it's the matrix and you're going to upload that knowledge from a conversation. I think that not even conversations, (laughs) dude. And dude is not disrespect. Cause I'm from California. The mayor's dude, your orthodontist is dude. (laughs) You are an esteemed, colleague but i'm still gonna call you dude it's not even that man it's like it, it, it's like straight up on facebook they won't even have conversations anymore it's just like put a post up and somebody answer it for me oh man yeah it just doesn't work that way i like you could read a book on a lot of you know someone else's experiences but you don't learn it until you actually have done it so very very well stated like, from a movement guy yeah yeah, it's just, uh, it's not that simple. I, I don't know if that's just because of the rise of technology or if people just don't want to have to put in, you know, it's probably a comfort thing. People don't want to do the things that are uncomfortable and that they don't, uh, that they're not familiar with. And that is a, that is a trap. And I think the longer you stay in that trap of not doing things that you are unfamiliar with or uncomfortable doing, you are stunting your growth in more than just that area because the obvious thing is that you're not going to grow in that particular area. Then the less obvious thing is that you're going to be less willing in all areas of your life to do things that you don't know how to do. So maybe if you go, maybe if you go to like a different class to learn something new, you're then going to be more open to reading a different book. And then that book has ideas. And then from that, you're going to do something else. And then you, you have this whole web of growth. So having the mindset that, well, I'm just going to, you know, it's not something I know how to do, so I'm just going to ask. I think that's the wrong mindset. It should be, 
I'm going to find out until I know the answer. I'm going to do what it takes to learn that. And then that attitude carries over to everything. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, you can totally like, ask, you can totally ask for the resources like, Hey, I would like to learn how to X, Y, and Z. Do you guys know where I can learn that? Like I yeah. be like, I don't know anything about, um, gymnastics. Me personally, I, I think I've done a somersault once in my life or no, it was a cartwheel. I did a cartwheel once in my life <laughs> in PE. And if you met me in person, I'm just not the kind of guy that would come across doing a cartwheel. <laughs> and when my when my body and my brain flipped over and the my palm on the floor and locking out the elbow and the shoulder to make a solid base and I flipped over in that cartwheel something happened to my brain but I don't know how to do gymnastics I wouldn't know how to like uh walk on a balance beam or or do any of the, the sort of gymnastic things mm-hmm. so I couldn't just ask hey how do you do gymnastics but I could ask where can I go or, or is there a place where I can learn as an old guy how to do gymnastics and then get a resource and go explore that? Um, that's yeah, our segue, yeah. my friend. That's our segue into business because that's happening oh, okay. in, in business, chiro, uh, business of chiropractic and uh-huh. business in general uh, as well. But that doesn't work in business either, does it? <laughs> oh, no, no. It's an interesting path. Yeah, I think people I've, have come to me and said, so uh, what is so – what's the best way to do a Facebook ad? <laughs> uh, do a Facebook ad. <laughs> and right. It's like stand up comedy. That that's the best. That's the best metaphor I have for anything because uh, I had a friend who dared me to do stand up comedy once. Uh-huh. It was an open mic night and I went out there and I did my little stand up routine. It was like five minutes or something. And I was, I was funny. Like people came up to me afterwards and they told me I was funny and I did a good job. And I was like, Oh, maybe I'm, maybe like I can be a comedian part-time. This is a fun little gig. And then I went out my second time and completely bombed. And it was the most painful experience of my entire life. But I learned, you know, and, and the Facebook ad advice here is you do a Facebook ad and if no one responds to it, you know, you did something wrong. Now you got to go back to the drawing board and learn. But if you mm-hmm. think you're just going to nail it on your first time, it's not going to happen. No, no. And um, if it, I think the the thing I hear about Facebook ads from people is, oh, they don't work. And it's because they tried one ad and they had no return. And it's like <laughs> Facebook ads work. You just you just don't know how to do them. Right. Like, right. of course they work. Or talk. Otherwise, or yeah, uh, like, marketing to other professionals or. Yeah, I have I have tried in many 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 ways to advertise online, and I've learned many 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 ways that don't work. And um, if I hadn't done that and then set time to analyze what I did and what the results were, you, you'll never learn. And you could go buy a two thousand dollar Facebook ad course, or you could budget two thousand dollars of ads for yourself do small tests of like 10 to $20 and then measure what happens. And then you'll end up probably making money on those $2,000 rather than spending it on a course and then actually having no practical experience. Not to say those courses aren't valuable. I think they are, but you have to actually do those things and get some experience and know that things aren't going to work. I think at, at first, I think what happens is we get scared of finding out that we, something we think is going to work doesn't work. And so what happens is we don't do it and we don't do it because 
if we haven't done it yet, there's still a probability that it will work. But if you try it and it doesn't work, then you prove to yourself that it didn't work. And then you have to figure out something new. And I think people don't want to have to do that. So they'd rather be like, well, I could do that, but uh, I'll get to it at some point. It's like, no, you're just not doing it because you don't want to find out it doesn't work. Yeah. Because then that's going to force you to reevaluate. It's going to force you to think and find a new way. And uh, you just gotta, it's just like the, the cartwheel thing. It's just like what we had talked about. Like you have to do things you're uncomfortable with because we don't, you can't expect to be good at it when you start. We have no education in marketing. We have no education in digital marketing. Yeah. It's a whole new world. And there are people out there with high levels of education in this realm that are making it work very well for many businesses. And we need to learn from what they're doing and apply it to what we're doing. If we want to succeed in this growing e-commerce arena and digital marketing arena. So um, yeah, the open mindset is even more important when it comes to business because it's even, we know even less. So my best metaphor for that one is, uh, is my hobby for fishing, my, my passion for fishing. So when I first started fishing, um, I had a ratty ass pole, a, a reel that probably couldn't even reel in a boot. Like I, it, I wasn't going to catch a fish anyways with the outfit that I had and absolutely terrified to go fishing because I had no idea what I was doing. And I went down there and I plopped myself right in the middle of a bunch of, um, uh, I think they were from Laos, like these guys that fish their whole life, like generations of their families have been pulling fish out of different waters around the world for like centuries, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm tying my line wrong and I'm using the wrong color for the time of the year and the clarity of the water. And, um, I have no idea what I'm doing and I don't catch a fish, but I talk to the guys and I learn a little bit. And then I come back the next weekend, do the same thing. Don't catch a fish and so on and so forth. And this goes on for a year, no catching fish. My wife's like, why, why do you keep going? Like, because every time I go, I learn one little new thing, one little new thing that gets me closer and closer. Six months in, you can see fish kind of wanting my offering, but not taking it. And I'm just mm. like, it's just becomes this consuming passion. They charter a boat with a, with a uh, fishing charter, you know, and they help me catch a, a salmon and uh, it's completely empty experience, completely empty. They did it for me, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and then uh, the year goes by, I learn all this stuff. And then that one day comes throw my line in the water. I I am not attached to any outcome whatsoever. It's just now an experiment to see if I'm getting closer or further from my goal. And then I get that tug on my line because I've now updated my gear to a a rod where you can actually feel a fish on your line. By the way, that whole year before I probably had fish on my line and had no idea because I had no awareness of what a fish even was on the line Mm. and pull up this humongous um, Pacific Northwest steelhead. And that was it. That, that was it. I was hooked. I wasn't hooked on the fish. But yes, the fish tastes delis- delicious later. I was hooked on the process. And that's what people say is that you have to, you have to endear yourself to the process and not the outcome. And uh, in, in business, we miss that a lot because we, we, we establish so much of our self-worth or our ego on the, the outcome. And in chiropractic, the outcome's like, how many patients did I see this week? How much how much money am I making compared to the people that graduated the same time I did? You know, how, how big is my practice? How much equipment do I have? And if you attach yourself to those outcomes, you miss the whole process. And in that process, you can become a master. You can become 
uh, whatever you want to be, but you have to endear yourself to the process first and not just uh, these outcomes that are, they don't last long. Oh yeah. I have so many thoughts on, on that. That, that analogy is incredible. Um, I'm all hopped up on some, I'm drinking lemon lime Gatorade. I haven't had one of these in a while. <laughs> And I'm I'm shaking over here. They got <laughs> <laughs> what are they putting What are they putting in it these days, huh? Oh my God, uh, water! Thank goodness. <laughs> and then the next ingredient is sugar. And I'm like, woo wee! There you go. Oh my goodness, that's hydrating. <laughs> no, there's so many good. <laughs> there's so many good things about that. So you know, perseverance and patience is is important. Thinking that uh, there's one little trick you can do that's going to make it work is uh, it doesn't work that way. You know, like thinking that. Yeah. Like what you said about the fish, like you had, you had fish on the line. You didn't even know it. Yeah. Like, so, so even understanding what does a prospect look like? How do you identify that? And yeah, what's the time of year? What are the, you know, what's the season? What's the demand? Like there's so many things in that analogy that are, that's, yeah, I think people should, and I'm going to re-listen to that because there's some really good things that, that, that can come from that analogy. I'll write that out as a blog post or something. No, that's a, that would be a great blog post because yeah, it's this idea like with these Facebook ads, like, okay, if I just like, I'm using the wrong color on on this like ad, like on the creative or maybe the text is, you know, like not quite right. It's like, (laughs) what you don't understand is that you might be two years away from knowing how to really make a great ad. And that's going to come from testing and trying, testing and trying, testing, testing, analyzing, testing, analyzing, being frustrated, analyzing, testing, frustration, da, 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 da. And, um, you know, the complexity and, and, and the thinking that goes into it, like the, uh, the fishermen from Laos, it's like they had generations of knowledge passed to them. They just intuitively yeah. know like, well, it's because of this and this. Well, how do you know that? Well, because t- people figured it out and people, <laughs> p- people have figured out ads go learn, go test, go read, you know, everything you need to know is on the internet somewhere and it's oh, yeah. free. Oh, I read, I read so many fishing books. I read all the fishing books. Yeah. People, <laughs> you know, I used to think that, um, I had this thought that people who've been, people who write books about business and about marketing, it's like, they're just doing it to make money. And, and I mean, there's definitely an incentive for that, but now I look at it and I'm like, maybe they're writing it because they figured it out and they're doing really well and they want to help other people. <laughs> like maybe right. I should, yeah. maybe I should read it with, with the lens that like, for example, you know, Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. Like when I first read it, I was like, okay, he's trying to sell books. But right. now I'm looking at, now I read it and I'm like, no, it's because he figured it out. And he's like, you guys, you should try this too. It's awesome. And right. so I read it with that lens and I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm going to do everything he says because like he obviously, I was just so close minded at the time that I first read that book that I didn't think, he actually wrote that because he wanted to help other people have that freedom. You know, that's what he, it was like, well, that's what they say, but what do they really mean? And um, yeah, man, I think like a true Western States skeptic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Being too skeptical sometimes is not good for you. Uh, I think that uh, we have this idea of success and failure, right? Like you're either on the path to success or you're on the path to failure. And, and again, that goes back to that, uh, that psychological desire for the human for humans to think that there's like one of two outcomes, right? Like I'm either going to fail or I'm going to be successful. And again, it's too simplistic. Uh, First, I think that this idea of, you know, how it took you a long time of refining the, get different bait, get a different uh, uh, rod, get, you know, figure out the, the colors and all that stuff. It's like in business, it's almost like there is this 
there's this complex lock and, and we, and it's like a, let's say it's a 15 digit lock. Okay. You have to get all 15 correct. And it's like, you're on number 14 and it's like, ah, it still doesn't work. But little do you know that, um, it just takes one more tweak and you've, you've now unlocked it and it'll start working. So I think that's one thing to consider is there are multiple steps that you have to do. There are many things you have to refine in order to get something to work properly. The second thing, oh, sorry. No, no, keep Go going ahead. if you get a okay. second. Yeah, yeah. The second thing is how about instead of us thinking about you're on a route to failure or a route to success, think about your business like a maze. Like one of those mazes on your, you know, that would be like, written in a book where it's a square and you enter and then you have to go down the route. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a maze. Okay. So like it's not success or failure. It's just don't give up trying to solve the maze because there is a way to, to work through the maze and get to your goal. And it's not a success or failure thing. It's just literally continuing until you figure out the maze and the puzzles. So changing the mindset of the, to that versus, well, I don't know, Facebook, you guys don't work. No, no, they do work. You just have to solve it. It's a solvable problem. It is solvable. So spend time, figure it out. That's, that's the only, that's all there is. You're either going to give up, or you're going to figure it out. And when you make mistakes, you have to reflect, learn, and then you have to improve and iterate and iterate and iterate until you figure it out. I think the biggest part you said there was the goal. I mean, the goal, you can't be attached to the outcome, but you do have to have a goal. It's a weird dichotomy, right? Like you, you have to have a shining yeah. star to pursue, but you can't obsess yourself with actually reaching the star. It's about the process of, of trying to reach that shining star or that goal. Yeah. And I think you have to define for yourself what success is. And I actually, yeah. you know, I've heard people, I've heard people say to do that. Like how, how would you know if you're successful? Because personally I lived for a very long time, not even knowing what I thought success was. And I was like, pushing to grow but I didn't really know how do I how do I know if I feel successful and I finally defined that for myself um, like a week ago and one of the first things was I'm successful if I am still pursuing my you know my these specific like financial goals like if I'm pursuing that I'm that's successful to me like I'm either pursuing it or I have it Yep. So that was the first one. And that was such a psych that was such a psychological benefit for me. Like, Hey, I'm successful. If I'm still in pursuit, you're not, it's not like you're not successful just because you haven't reached some financial status or whatever. You can be successful if you're in the pursuit. It's just how, how do you define it for yourself? And I think that allows you to enjoy the journey while still, because it is, like you said, it's a balance. How can you be content during the journey if your desire is only the goal? And so if you define success as being on the pursuit of your goal, then you can enjoy both, I think. And it's more balanced. It's not, it's not a dichotomy of like you're miserable because you haven't reached your goal and then you're going to be, you know, it's going to be like euphoric when you reach your goal. Like, I don't think it's going to work that way. You probably look back and be like, you know, I could have had a better time. <laughs> I could have enjoyed the, I could have enjoyed the journey more had I spent a day taking a day and defined some things for myself and thought through these things instead of just being so caught up in, in doing. Um, it, it gets you in yeah. a situation where people start to look at you like you're on a different trip. <laughs> that guy's on a different journey, man. He's, he's, yeah. he's classified uh, what is important in his life on a whole different level. Uh, and you know where that comes from, right? You got to get kicked in the teeth a couple times. <laughs> yeah, it, it I mean, that's you. definitely... 
gives you perspective. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been kicked in the teeth enough times now to to gain that perspective. So yeah, it's certainly helpful to get kicked. One of the um, things I got, and I don't know where I got it from. Um, it's just one of my things is that I I can assess people really quickly, like when they walk in a room, or you hear their language or their tone of voice or posture or any of these sort of presentations that are outward, um, you know, eye contact and things like that. And you can figure it out. And I can figure out the people who have been kicked in the teeth and then learned from it. There, it's like a strength. It's like a power you can never take away from them after that. And, I, and that's people who've, who've fought before or people who've been in fights. They also understand those things too. Not just uh, martial arts, but you might be getting a little bit of that from Muay Thai as well. Is like once, once you've learned the lesson that getting your butt kicked taught you, no one will ever take away from it again, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's humbling. You know, when you, when you can step back and realize, hey, you know what? <laughs> there are hard things in life. And, but I'm still here. But I'm still here. And so then it makes it like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Like and when you, yeah, yeah, like when you, when you have that stoic attitude of thinking, for example, okay, well, um, like if you can identify what you're afraid of and then think through what's the worst possible actual outcome, it, it frees you. It frees you from that fear because you realize, well, I guess that's not as bad as I thought, but you have to be able to trust your future self with problems. That's one thing I've learned through doing a lot of, I guess, sort of risky business things is like you, you have to trust that your future self will know what to do because you can't worry about decisions that you cannot take action on right at this moment. And you have to be, if you believe like, Hey, you know what? I'm a person who will, constantly be learning my future self will be smarter and wiser and more experienced than my current self so when that decision needs to be made or if something happens i'm gonna know what to do and then you stop worrying about it and that allows you to focus on what you can do now so no that's huge too like that that needs to be unpacked because i i see that a lot i see it in in some of the best punch in punch out chiropractors i've ever seen um one example would be my friend, colleague, Dan Murphy. He's, he's not the Dan Murphy everyone knows. He's a Dan Murphy in Santa Maria, California that runs a great practice. He's practiced for 30 years. He's punched in and punched out, seen many patients, helped many people. And you know what? Sometimes you have a bad month. And if you are not comfortable with having a bad month and you start judging yourself and you start questioning things, you're going to start acting the fool and you might uh, turn yourself down a path that you, that you can't recover from you would see somebody like Dan Murphy go like, okay, bad month. I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what to do next. I'm going to, I know how I'm going to solve this problem. And I know that I can solve this problem. Uh, here's what we're going to do. And then you provide the leadership to the team and then they keep going. And then he punches out <laughs> and yep. you get on the next day. And, yep. and I've seen so many good Kairos that are able to do that. And I've seen so many bad Kairos who have a bad month or, um, a bad quarter or something like that. And they lose their ever loving damn minds and they start tripping and, and treating their staff poorly or uh, blaming other people for this outcome. And it's like, they have no confidence and it also paralyzes them because a lot of times the way they behave throughout their whole career is 
I'm just going to keep, this goes back to what we were talking about before. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I know it works and I'm not going to try any new things because I don't want to mess anything up. Yeah. You have to be willing to, to try new things and the world is advancing quickly. And if you're unwilling to evolve with it, you know, at some point, like if you were someone making horse drawn carriages at some point, you have to evolve your business. (laughs) Like, and in this business, it's it's very simple. You either evolve or you're going to like blow a shoulder out or something and then you're done anyways. Yeah. You know, there's so much uh, personal development that goes into that mindset of you will find an answer to any problem, no matter what happens, instead of freaking out, you have to train yourself to be solution oriented and find, find the answers, not, not just think about problems because what good does it do thinking about problems? Like you use, use a problem as information, as an input, and then analyze it and find the solutions and, and then, try the most likely solution. So maybe something bad happens, you write down a list of the 10 most likely things that you could do to uh, improve for the next time. And then like spend a few hours analyzing those, maybe do a little bit of research or deep thinking, and then put a probability of which one you think is most likely to be the best route and then do that one. (laughs) No, it's totally true. I think maybe we should start promoting this idea that all all chiropractic students or chiropractors to be, or even current chiropractors should uh, do a little bit of martial arts. <laughs> you know, I got, because that's what I, it teaches you. Yeah. I was, I was, uh, even if it's just a keto, like not, not the Aikido you see on YouTube where they're trying to like disarm somebody with a gun to their head, but like the gentle uh-huh. idea of Aikido and responding, uh, there's different challenges and you respond Kung Fu capoeira, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, jiu-jitsu judo you know like that's what martial arts does to you is you're presented with a new way of having to solve a different problem over and over and over again it's yeah and like if chess. you don't yeah and if you don't solve it you're going to get smacked in the face yeah. so you ha- like it forces you to look for like okay what do i need to do like you're on high alert uh i think that because of the immediacy of a martial arts versus business like things can happen over a longer time frame you don't sort of have that immediate feedback like i dropped i dropped my hands for half a second and this 60 year old <laughs> thai guy kicked me in the face <laughs> yeah just laughing and i was like oh god this guy's foot is slapping me in the face right now and it was cause i got a little bit tired and i let, and then it's like god you got to be more diligent be more diligent keep your hands up and it's like you don't have that immediate feedback in business because it's a delayed response. Maybe your marketing practices weren't, weren't very good. And then you feel that three months later. So there's a delayed effect. And so it takes a little bit more analysis that just like, Oh, it's cause I didn't step correctly or something. So really? yeah, yeah, it's almost like you learn faster in a martial art. A lot of people jab and then drop their hand right after the jab. They don't bring it right back. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was, <laughs> what I was doing. Man, you should have, you should have seen this guy just laughing, sm- like just, having is having a field day with me yeah there are there are uh, um dojos and jujitsu mats and wrestling mats um and basketball courts all over the world where that happens welcome to <laughs> welcome to our club new guy so yeah we get to yeah. beat you around a little bit yeah uh, no, it's good. how, it's good how did it's good business evolve into this new uh, metamorphosis this new idea or this new pursuit of the T tool. We've got to talk about the T tool itself. Uh, 
mm-hmm. not just the tool itself, which uh, you guys gave me a, a model that I can play with and I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. So not just the tool itself, but we do want to talk about the tool, but the ideas behind why we were going to pursue the tool, uh, uh, all that, the business aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From very What the hell are you on, thinking, man? <laughs> from very early in my career with Movement Fix and thinking about doing things online, I always wanted to make some sort of physical p- product. Uh-huh. Um, I just, I like making stuff. And so I wanted to make a, a tool because I think it would be fun to make something that people could benefit from. But I never had an idea for a tool that was unique enough for me to want to pursue because, I mean, to be, to be frank, like the ISTM market is saturated with very similar tools. Oh, yeah. Like a, a flat stock tool with different curvatures. I mean, that's what the market is. So I didn't want to make that because in doing some analysis, it's like, look, there's really two things you can do in business. You're either a low cost competitor or you're a differentiated competitor. So you're either offering the same thing as everybody else and you're going to have to compete on price or you can offer something and make something that has different feature set that you can charge a premium price for. That's, that's how it works. Yep. And I didn't want to play, I've never wanted to play a low cost game. I like to play differentiated because um, that's just my preference. So I, I kind of, that was sort of the, the, the framework of, I was open to doing something like that, but I didn't have the idea for, the, for a design that would be unique enough. Then uh, Dr. Jim Thornburg, my uh, partner in T-Tool, he about a year, like 54 weeks ago, so a little over a year ago, <clears throat> I was in Bend uh, to do a talk there and he showed me a very early prototype of a tool that he was thinking about making. And so he showed it to me and at first I looked at it and I was like, what the hell is this thing? (laughs) So strange looking at first. And then I played with it for about an hour and I said, yeah, dude, I want to do this because I saw the value in it. You know, I'd, I'd spent years and years doing manual therapy, pushing my thumbs into people using different tools and my, my hands were always tired or hurting. And I, I couldn't stand that my thumbs would hurt after a day of treatment. And so I decided to cancel basically everything I'd planned to do for the next 10 months and uh, got involved with making this uh, tool. So the, the way that it, the way that it's structured is such that you can rather than being a scraping tool, that has a different curve for a different area of the body, we fundamentally thought about it different. It is a tool that allows you to do different styles of soft tissue treatment. So you can do ischemic compression, you could do scraping, you could do deeper tissue massage, and because of the design, you can grab it like a handle and you can hold onto this like rounded mushroom type of piece that we call the head piece. Mm -hmm. And then use that as a handle to gain leverage to then do the scraping style work. And then if you flip it, you can grab the scraping rectangular side and use the rounded side to do, to simulate like an an elbow or a fist or your knuckles, Mm -hmm. or you can angle it slightly to use the edge of that to do scraping work. So it's much more comfortable in your hand. And so when he presented the opportunity, which was something I had already wanted to do, which was create a tool or something similar, and it was differentiated I said, I have, I have to get involved with this because I think the longevity of providers' hands is <laughs> important. So uh, 
yeah, so so we jumped. I jumped into that project and been working on it pretty much nonstop now for the last year, uh, which is quite a long time to work on something with not even having it to market yet. So it's been quite a test of patience as well. Um, but yeah, that's the idea of T-Tool is how do we make a better tool to help people's hands, like the longevity of their, of their hands? Because, and it, and it kind of goes along with the, the things I feel passionately about with Movement Fix, which is helping people keep their body as functional and healthy for as long as possible. And so this ties into that. And so it was a good fit for me um, to, to get involved. But so I credit Jim definitely to the design. It's, he was very creative. Um, and so what I told Jim and I, I thought it was cool uh -huh. um, was, you know, as chiropractors or, or people who produce like uh, digital products, mm -hmm. you know, once you're done, there's really not a lot to sort of show to the world or the way I said mm -hmm. it to Jim is like, Jim, you got a tool here that, that looks amazing and it works amazing. And when you are done, when you're retired, when you're gone and there's nothing left of Jim, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty dark like that. That's tool. <laughs> this tool will still be there. You know, you yeah. created a thing you created like, uh, anyone, uh, my friend Aaron Jorgensen now creates soap mm -hmm. because people are starting to get this in this service based world that there's nothing that you've created that has a permanence to it. That has a long story to it. And when you create something like this, it can fulfill that need in your mm -hmm. heart or your mind that you've created something of permanence. Yeah. It's been really strange to see it now in person. Like I, <laughs> I still haven't held the final version yet. Like Jim has them because I'm not, you know, in, in bend where he is and I've seen photos and it's weird. It's like we imagined it and now it's, now it's real. And yeah. <laughs> you know, like four years ago I read Napoleon Hill's book, think and grow rich. Uh, which I highly recommend if people haven't read it. It's strange, but I think that over time it makes more sense. <laughs> and, you know, I've spent countless hours just listening to music with my eyes closed, visualizing what I want the experience to be like for someone to receive T-Tool um, they, when they order it and it arrives at their clinic or their house. Like, house, like what is that experience like opening the box? What is it like to hold the tool? you know, thinking through this process has been really fun and it's like, it's actually turning into reality. And, and that experience of, of seeing work that you've been doing for a year finally turn into something. It, it makes you realize that you can, you, you can do anything if you just don't stop. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we're really excited, you know, like going through the process of figuring out how to make it and how to make it at a high quality has been frustrating. I mean, we could have launched it probably like six months ago, but it just sure. wasn't, no, it, sure. was, it wasn't, it wasn't good enough. No. And Once so, again, dude, dude, this uh, people listening, this, obviously this is a very brilliant man. Uh, and the metaphors here or the, the, the illusions here, if you are listening to what he's saying are huge. So, so take this tool, which you might not know what the tool looks like in your mind, but it's pretty darn cool take the tool and convert that to your practice. So he had already said, I don't, I didn't want to make a commodity. I didn't want to race to the bottom dollar. How many practices do we know out there that are offering their $20 first visit sort of thing? It's a race to the bottom and nobody wins yeah. a price war. You're just no. a commodity. So what he envisioned was something that was of quality. And I always ask people to envision for their practice, a practice of quality. And when you do that, you do have to sit and dream about it. 
and you do have to think when, when a patient comes, if I'm going to have a practice of quality, what is the patient going to feel when they walk in the door? What are they going to experience? What are they going to smell? What are they going to see? What kind of experience are they going to have while they're there? And if you think you're having one of these non-commodity type practices, but you don't think like that, like what happens when the person opens the box? Not just holding the tool, but what happens when they open the box and you don't think like that for your practice, you're in trouble. You're right in that middle of, uh, I want to be a quality commodity or I want to be a commodity quality and that doesn't work. You, you really uh, have to, that one, you kind of have to go one way or another. If you want to race, if you want to play on price, play on price. Yeah. But if you want to play on quality, that's a whole different war and you better play on, on quality the best you possibly can. There's no turning back on that. Yeah, and, you know, and obviously mm-hmm. the way Ryan talks is completely he's he's integrated that into his life, uh, and you don't integrate those sort of things without experience and due diligence. Um, you don't get that from a book. There's no way. Yeah, I'm I'm a firm believer that we don't really know what we're doing until we finished it and we look back. And uh, what I realized was, you know, talking about this fishing analogy like it took you a long time right yeah what i what i look back at movement fix and building digital products and figuring out how to market them like i thought that what i was doing was building movement fix but i i see it differently now i i was getting ready to make t-tool because now i understand how to run facebook ads now i understand how to make a final product and it took me five years of doing that with movement fix until i felt now it was like to do t-tool i was like okay well we have to do this and this and this and this and this we have to go through this we have to get this and like i only learned that because i was screwing around with movement fix for five years trying to figure it out man no and that's um, life man that's life that's that's how relationships work too you you don't get you think you're in your last relationship and but then you're on to your next one and then you learn something else and then eventually you do hit this horizon where you're like all that stuff was training for this moment uh, yeah, you know. it's a business relationship or a personal relationship and then it culminates. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, um, do, are you guys ready to go with T tool? Like, is there a website or is there a way for people to check it out? Is there the, mm-hmm, the website is being built? It should be done soon. I don't know when this episode is going to go live, but it will be the T tool.com. I expect our launch official launch date will be May 15th. So very cool. Um, we, yes, this, you know, this will be out before then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We, you know, so kind of a side story that might be helpful for somebody listening. We thought we were going to launch it on Black Friday, which was November I don't know, 25th or something. And now we're actually launching it May 15th. And, you know, that's a lot of, that's a big, you know, it's six months. Oh, it works. Sounds the like the tool, because, the tool album. the reason yeah the reason was because it just like it was such a test of patience to say you know these prototypes that we just ordered they didn't come back correct and we just can't do it yet we have to wait and so we had to we had to keep doing that batch after batch after batch because it's a manufacturing is really hard it's really hard and uh, yeah, we we just couldn't be more excited to to, to make it available, and um, we're trying to price it fairly. You know, like 
I think I think that uh, a lot of people get gouged in this ISTM market. Like there's two, there's really two realms, right? There's the really expensive premium sets that are like thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. And then there's the race to the bottom on Amazon where things are being sold for like 70 or 80 bucks. And, you know, we're trying to fit in a, in a, a price point that's fair for the quality of the tool. You know, we're not trying to gouge anybody. Like, we, you know, I've been on the other end as a customer and um, uh, we want to price it fairly so that we can, we have to price it high enough so that we can make it really good. Uh, and I think that's what get, that, that can get missed sometimes is that sure. to, to make things, it can be expensive. And, we wanted to make a better high quality tool because like your, your practice is a professional practice, you know, having something that's poorly made. It's like, you know, if you went to a dentist and they had like a poorly made drill or whatever, it's like, I want to go to a dentist that has a, you know, the, the right equipment. And so we wanted to make the right equipment, not the cheapest equipment. And I think the same thing could be true for the, for the services that are provided in a clinic. Like, do you want to provide the cheapest service or do you want to provide the best service, like a combination of multiple variables, like the best service at a, at a, at a price that's fair for the value that's being provided. And I, and I think that's key. Like you have to price something a little bit lower than the value someone places on it. And as a business person, I think you have the responsibility to price it just underneath the value because that gives you the resources to then reinvest and make things better. So it's not about, I mean, there's, there's obviously different ways to think about business. In my opinion, it's about making as much money as you can where you're providing higher value than what you're charging in order to collect those resources to then reinvest and make better, more helpful things. And you can keep doing that sort of graduating to new levels. That's right. So, uh, rather than just like, I'm just going to charge people a lot of money so I can make money so I can buy stuff and put it in a bank account. Right. I, uh, I think that, um, obviously you could do either one of those, but it's more, I think it's more fun <laughs> trying to, you know, if you think about money as a, as a, like a dollar as a, uh, holding of value, and then you can trade that value of that dollar for time or for re- for other, um, you know, someone's expertise or for a physical thing, like you can trade that. Uh, so yeah, no, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm right. How, there. I don't know how I went. I yeah, am, I don't know how I went sorry, down we don't that have yeah. video. So I am shaking my head up and down <laughs> uh, superior to inferior fashion. Um, that's, I don't, I mean, I don't, I try to get my pulse on sort of the young chiropractor and the student chiropractor. Uh-huh. And I do think a lot of them, are, are transfixed on an idea of like, you know, I got to get out and I got to make enough money to pay my student loans. And then, you know, they're young. All of them are sort of getting married at that time too. And I need to, yeah. and, and they spend like a bazillion dollars on their wedding, which is, don't get me started on that. But, you know, they're, you know, and then they've got to, they've got to pursue the, the rat race of the American dream. And then, like I said before, there's the ego of I've got to also show that I'm successful to my peers and I've got to buy a house and I've got to do this and that. And they missed the plot of the whole damn story. And it's just that this money, yeah, the, the, the excess money that you make, you can utilize as a tool and you should be utilizing it. Uh, you know, the classic ways were investments like the stock market and whatnot. That was a, that was a way to diversify your income and mm-hmm. have it grow. But if you look at people who are becoming wealthy these days, they're diversifying the income streams. Oh yeah. I mean, like if you can do that and then, I mean, certainly having 
enough. I mean, I think it's important for people to define like how much money do you need? And that, that's right, part of like totally. defining, that's part of defining success. Like, okay, let's say you wanted to be financially independent. If you took $1.25 million and invested it in dividend stocks at 4%, you could, you could take out quarterly, you would have $50,000 per year. Mm-hmm. So like maybe your goal is to have $1.25 million in dividend stocks. Like then you never have to work again and you can just do things that you want to do because they're valuable. Like if you know that number, at least you know what you're pursuing. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe you want to have, oh man, we could talk about this for a while. It's student loans, especially like, um, (laughs) I think that, uh, trying to live this rat race is so stressful and unnecessary. Like if you do not define success for yourself, you do not know why you do what you do. Yeah. And so if you just get caught up in the stream of like, I have to go here, I have to make this much money, I have to have this kind of house, you are asking for stress. You are asking for stress. Yep. If you can be okay, and again, this is sort of like the patience that you have to learn and probably some patience in martial arts where it's like, you don't get to knock someone out right away. (laughs) It (laughs) It might take you to the point of exhaustion before you can even we don't reach the end of the fight, so to speak. Like I think people come out of school and they think they just want to like, oh, I got to get rid of these student loans. I got to, I got to get a knockout. It's like Which drives them to possibly doing unethical or yeah, you it know, does nefarious things, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, the student, the student loan thing, first of all, I think it's structured in a way that actually encourages entrepreneur, like entrepreneurial pursuits because yep. of income, income based repayment allows you to be entrepreneurial. So here's a, here's a thought that I've gone through and and I'm not, I'm not saying people should follow my route necessarily, but if I spent the next 10 to 15 years continually pursuing business ideas and learning and growing, there is no way I won't figure out how to make a a million dollar business. And, And then I'll be able to pay off my student loans very quickly. Okay. So then I have a business that's making, you know, potentially millions of dollars and I have no student loans and I've provided extreme value to lots of people because you cannot run a multi-million dollar business if you're not providing a lot of value to a lot of people. Right. So it's not a selfish thing. If you know, if you treat it that way versus if I run the rat race and let's say, let's say I just crush myself 80 hours a week. Maybe I can pay my student loans off in five years. I'm extremely stressed. I haven't nourished the other areas of my life. I've sacrificed my body, my relationships, but now I have no student loans, but I also haven't been able to build a, uh, like a sustainable business that can run itself or some sort of a storage of uh, value that can create more value just because of its existence. Like, I think that those are, you know, those are kind of the routes. No, totally. So, yeah. You, uh, you, you are now five years behind everybody else who's been innovating or, or at least uh, trying for five years, but Hey, now you can buy a new fridge, you know? <laughs> right. And it's like, look, worst case scenario is what I try to do doesn't work. And then I die and then my student loans go away forever. Like we're all going to die at some point. Like that's just reality. And I think when you take, I guess that's stoicism again, like when you take that approach, it's like, <laughs> I'm either going to find a solution or I will be, you know, hopefully 90 years old and, and still try to figure it out. And then it goes away anyways. Yep. So yep. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's not the best way to think about it, but it's, it's well, you'd want to inflect a lot of love and, um, and good behavior in that process as well. So, you know, you were appreciated for your time. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think too, like, you know, student loans and the, the way that they're structured with the government, it'll, it gives you the flexibility to essentially have your pursuits financed by the U.S. government. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you dirty capitalist. You're a dirty yeah. capitalist who reads Think and Grow Rich, and oh uh, yeah, I'm so dirty. Because look, I'm not gonna lie. I would, I would, I will be. I would love to have a fortune, and I'm and I'm pursuing it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend like I'm I'm not trying to make money. Of course I am. That's why I'm in business. But just because you're trying to accumulate wealth doesn't mean you're like a bad person. Like I'm trying to use it to create solutions. Like if I hadn't done Move It Fix and made digital products, there's no way I could have financed making this tool. It's expensive. It's really hard to make this. Yeah, the manufacturing like, of metal products is very expensive, especially when it's three-dimensional like it is. Yeah, and the way we made it, like we made it probably the most expensive way possible. And if I hadn't done, you know, and built, movement fix, which can generate income passively, I wouldn't have had the time to sit around and close my eyes and think about how the box is going to be opened, you know? Like, yeah. So it's like the more, the more resources you can accumulate, it, it allows you to solve bigger problems. Like T-Tool is probably the, one of the smallest businesses I'll, I'll make. And it, it, like when you have that mindset and, and when you think about value and, and making money that way, it's like you can use it to buy time. So if you could, let's say, create some sort of passive income, right? That doesn't just give you money. It gives you time. It gives you time where you can think and try to solve problems. And the more that you do that, the more problems you can solve. Now, there are people obviously trying to make money by doing scams, by making Ponzi schemes, by doing little tricks. And I hate that. I'm not a tricks person. Right. But see, now my coffee's starting to finally kick in, you know? It was <laughs> 6.30 when I started. I drank this coffee right at the beginning. Uh, I get pumped up about this stuff. So. Yeah, I think too many people are pretending like they're trying to make money, but they don't. They think like it's bad if they say that. And it's why would that yep. be bad? It's use it for good, use it to solve problems, and it's a great thing. So I've been accused of with the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, where I've brought thousands of chiropractors, progressive chiropractors together to discuss their problems, solve problems, make friends, find jobs, uh, refer patients to quality other providers, provide continuing education. Um, you know, I've done so much and I'm not bragging about myself, but I, I've, I've been accused of, um, what, what, of this being a cash grab. <laughs> it's like, what value do I have to bring to your lives for you guys to understand that, um, I'm, I'm, my heart's in it for the right reasons, but I'm also down here in my basement doing this stuff for you. And, uh, and you know, the microphone we talk on costs money and right. going places costs money. And someday maybe I will fold it over into a way to expand my fortune as well. But it would be the same way that you talk about it. That only happens if you bring value to people's lives. And I would only use it to roll it over into something else and into something else and into something else to create more and more value. Because I'm exactly. like you, I get my self-worth by bringing value or service to other people. So... Yeah. And why, I don't know why, maybe it's, maybe it's cause you know, we're in the sort of healthcare industry, why people are like, they feel ashamed of trying to be successful. Like, why would you, like, we have a choice, you know, like you can choose to try to be financially successful or you can, you can choose to like be a martyr and, and not. And right. like you can make better decisions if you have more finances. You can make better choices. You can make better business decisions. You can treat people better. You can provide them a higher level of service. And I don't know why in this industry people are sort of like ashamed to admit that they would love to have a lot of money. But 
Like, yeah, that's weird, right? Like, why? Why? Like, and first of all, if I was trying to make as much money as possible, I would not be doing what I'm doing. <laughs> I would probably be working in, I would find like the most trendy emerging field where I could sell a million units of something, like 10 right. million units of something. Like if I was just doing it for that, I would not be in this business. I'm yeah. in this business because it's a combination of what I love and there's opportunity. And if no one took opportunity, we would not have a country. If no one took opportunity, we would not have computers. Like Apple charges a lot of money for their computers because they're great. And they also innovate and they make things that are better and better and better. Like that's how it works. And why should we not be doing that in healthcare? Like why do we have such a chip on our shoulders to, to, to be afraid to admit that we want to be successful? And when you're successful, you can then roll it up, as you said, into another business that can then continue to innovate. If no one had resources, no one would have the time to sit around and think how to make things better because they'd be too busy trying to make money to pay for rent. So if you can set up a, a machine, I think of a business as a machine and you have to make a blueprint and then you have to build it following that blueprint. If you can make these machines that, that provide value and generate value or that, yeah, that machines that can provide a service or a product or whatever that can then funnel in resources that allows you to then think bigger, solve bigger problems, innovate more, push things forward. Like there's a lot of benefits. Like, what there's no, I don't know that there's a benefit from purposefully trying to not be financially successful. Besides the martyr thing. Yeah. There, there yeah. I mean, I guess you're doing it for some like deep sense of pride and you should probably like maybe consider where that comes from. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm in Thailand right now. It's, it's not capitalist here. Like it's really different. It's been eye opening. Um, and the, 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 the Western idea of success here doesn't exist. It's been quite interesting. People have been, people have told me like, I don't know why people want to move to the United States. Everyone's so stressed there. <laughs> and it's it, they're stressed because they're in the rat race of trying to like outwork, outwork. It's like, think instead of trying to outwork, why don't we outthink? You know, why don't we, why don't we see where our drive comes from? How do we satisfy some of the deeper needs that we have? Um, it, it cracks me up when I see people who are caught in the rat race, but then they also complain about the things in our society that are deficient, you know, like education or, or uh, the way children are being raised. And it's like, but you don't understand if you, if you could check out of that rat race, you could help a child, <laughs> you know, you could, you could serve your community. If you stop talking about the, uh, the president of the United States, which has almost no bearing on your personal life, and we're more interested in like the PTA or your own community, you could do that. But, but the, the value, you know, it's so much easier to just sort of scroll through the Facebook because that's the only time you got because you're, you're stuck sort of on the grind. And this is the free time you got is to kind of thumb through Facebook. But if you, if you were, if you were doing these things, if you were investing in your future, if you were creating things of value, if you were accumulating wealth, and, and wealth wasn't your top priority. You know, if you had $100,000, but you only needed 60 to get by, you've got $40,000 of value that you can buy time with to do other things. Yeah, or you can, you know, you can use that to find ways to help people or help your family or, you know, whatever. Like, I think that there's a difference between being wealthy and selfish and being wealthy and, I think you can be wealthy and altruistic and you're just using it. Like, if, 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 um, you know, if Bill Gates didn't amass huge wealth, could he now be a philanthropist and trying to solve, you know, <laughs> human diseases? 
Yeah. Like, is he a bad guy for starting a business that made him tons of money that he can now do? He can now solve problems that no individual could solve without those resources. Like, like, do we think he's a bad guy? No. But if someone wants to try to pursue that in healthcare, it's like, Oh, we can't talk about it. (laughs) I don't get it. And I don't even know if it's healthcare, dude, because there are plenty of people making lots of money in healthcare elsewhere. And it's not an issue. They understand, yeah. they understand their value and it, it's, it goes where we are two swallows flying around the same chimney here. We've come up with the same themes over and over and over again. It's understanding yeah. your value, understanding the value you bring, understanding what your self-worth is, understanding your personal goals, um, uh, knowing who you are. These things, if you could, as we close up, mm-hmm. Off the top of your head, I know you're reading books. Mm-hmm. I don't know if in Thailand you've got a stack of books. Um, maybe maybe <laughs> you're on digital style. Yeah, yeah. But if you digital. got three that are standing out in your mind that you think listeners should be uh, checking out, what three would you recommend? You can go uh, back in time too. They don't have to be current. Uh-huh. I think that um, one book would be Think and Grow Rich. But if you're going to read that, you have to read it with an open mind. And then I think you have to reread it six months later. That would be one. Um, yeah. I think the second thing, it's not a book. It's an audible series. And that is, um, hold on, let me look up. Let me pull it up on my phone. It's the, uh, it's the Jim Rohn, the ultimate Jim Rohn library. It's like 13 hours of Real like probably the most valuable possible audio lectures by Jim Rohn. Who, um, if people aren't familiar with Jim Rohn, um, but they you might be familiar with Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins went to a Jim Rohn seminar when he was seventeen, and that's what made him go down his path. I think I think that, um, and then the third one would be it's it's uh, a book that I read quite at the beginning of my pursuit of everything. And that was the slight edge. I think that that's a good entry point book just to think about um, the concept of self-development. So those would be my three recommendations. And um, I mean, there's probably like hundreds that could be made, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I would say those three and like the gym run on the audible one. I've uh, I listen to that like 30 minutes a day, every day. Um, and I'm, going through it multiple times. And every time I go through it, I just learn so much more. I mean, yeah, he's an incredible guy. Like, and it's not just business. It's about like having a successful life. And yeah, those guys have fallen off, you know, like chiropractors, the, those old school chiropractors that used to sit with their, uh, their, uh, tent revivals and hold, hold hands or whatever they did. I don't know. Did their money chance and all that stuff. You know, they were really into, uh, these lifestyle, uh, speakers I, I don't know how would you how would you qualify them motivation yeah, I don't know. personal I don't know. development personal speakers development. or professional development yeah you know, they were into those like that. and that's sort of fallen off to the side once again somehow we have de- devalued that personal development or we've devalued <sighs> some of these people and you I think people are really they're they're missing a lot in their own professional development by not listening to these types of folks who who have a lot of powerful things to say um of course, there's Tony Robbins. Uh, you can listen to Zig Ziglar the same way as Jim Rohn, where you listen yeah. to it 
over and over again and then you hear something new the next time brian tracy's like that a lot too oh yeah yeah brian uh, tracy's where you, great you're like whoa and then or uh, something doesn't click until you've heard it the third time and then it clicks for you and then it changes everything um i always call oh, yeah. wayne dyer the father i never had oh um, wayne dyer i'm not familiar with him yeah, wayne to... dyer is an interesting one he kind of turned a little more spiritual towards the end but uh-huh. um but he's excellent uh, I saw him speak at Parker seminars once. That was one of mm. my highlights of my, of my life at that moment. Um, you know, Damon John, I saw at Parker seminars, uh, uh. Dave Ramsey's got some good stuff. You know, there's so many of them, but you nailed. And then the ones that are coming up like Simon Sinek and, um, uh, what is that one guy? Shiv, Shiv Kara. There's a lady, Mel Robbins, who's brilliant. There's tons of them out there. Uh, you yeah. just got to find somebody, but, but the ones you recommended, I mean, shoot, listen to Mr. T. Mr. T says some amazing things. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, like Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy and Jim Rohn. Like those I would say, the, those are the Trinity. Yes. Yeah. I would say Brian Tracy and Jim Rohn are my, my top two. And, and like Brian Tracy has these old books. They're probably one hour read on different business topics. Yeah. And each one of each one of those that you read through, it's like, you know, it takes like an hour, hour and a half. And it would literally be the same valuable content as someone else's 10 hour book. Like he just doesn't put any crap in it. It's just literally <laughs> the, the bullet points. Yep. And yep. it's, it, it's so simple and dense. So if, yeah, I would, those are my two favorites. Zig Ziglar. I just have a harder time listening to him, but, um, he's kind of, yeah, he's yucky. Like uh, yuck, yuck, yeah, yuck. Just, oh, just, oh, yeah. He's a little bit more like that. I'm like, just get to the point, man. <laughs> That's how I feel sometimes when I listen <laughs> to his stuff. But, storyteller, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stories. What's your value? You know, stories are, are, are really helpful. Um, but, yep, that's what I would, that's what I'd recommend. And that's I think that those, those things should not be undervalued. Like, they're so important. You know, these guys have spent their entire careers figuring out these important lessons. And you can learn them in 10 hours. So, you could take 50, what took 50 years to accumulate for them. You can have access to in 10 hours like that's crazy and in your headphones on your computer in your car while you're driving and commuting in this rat race it's like a and brian tracy points this out like if you dedicated an hour on your or half an hour on your drive every day after a certain period of time it would be equivalent to a master's degree in whatever that topic was like if it was finance personal development um, business, marketing, whatever. If you listened that long, just on your drive, it would be like a master's degree in that subject. Yeah, I think I think what he says is you would be one of the most well-educated people in the world if yep. you just listened during your commute. And it's so easy to do that, and it's also so easy to just look at Facebook, and that's the problem. It's so simple to do to do it, and I think uh, maybe it's Brian or. Tracy or maybe it's Jim Rohn, but the things that are very simple to do that are known to be highly effective are so easy not to do. You have to, you have to choose to change your behavior and your habit to do those things. Like it's really easy. It's not hard to go to the gym and work out. It's just really easy to lay around and not do it. Right. <laughs> oh, it's very, yeah. It's not what somebody says, uh, change isn't hard. It's the thinking about change that's hard. I don't know who said that. Uh, yeah, it's getting yourself to like, and I know, you know, we're kind of on time constraints, but, um, it's like today your little behaviors are 
are the things that will get you to where you want to go or not. So like, if you're like thinking, well, I'll just go tomorrow. It's like, that's literally the time that you have to make the other choice. Because if you, yeah. <laughs> if you keep, if you keep saying like, well, we'll go tomorrow, but, but you want the result and that like, that is when you're making the choice. Like we don't see that, but when you say that you are, you're still not making the choice. You have to uncomfortably say, well, I'll go tomorrow. Oh, wait, no, this is the time when I have to choose not to do that if I actually want to make a change. This is me making an excuse right now. I need to go. <laughs> it's going yep. to feel different because it is different. It's a different behavior. So it's going to feel strange at first. And then that develops into a habit. And then that habit make, you know, multiplied by time is what leads to the result that you desire. That's perfect. No, that's, that's how we close out that uh, I'll butcher it. But Brian Tracy had the thousand percent formula and he would come out and he would say, uh, who wants to improve their income, their wealth or whatever, their productivity, their performance by a thousand percent. And of course people are like, woo, yay, me. You're right. I'd say, well, can you improve your productivity, your performance, or your output by one tenth of 1% in a day, 0.1% and people are like, sure, that's easy. But if you make that much change, 0.1% each day on a couple different subjects, uh, you will eventually get to that thousand percent. I don't even think it's a thousand percent exactly, but whatever, it's close enough. Yeah. It's uh, motivational speaker math. And there are only seven <laughs> steps. Uh, step one was uh, get up earlier than you normally would and read something. Read, uh, read something in your field is what he would say. So you would get up half an hour earlier than you normally would or an hour earlier and you'd read something about rehab, fitness, chiropractic, business, marketing, or whatever. Step two would be to plan your day in advance. I remember that one and I, I'm as simple as a, a, a notebook. I carry my notebook everywhere, but I used to just use a, a sticky note and write four things I had to do that day. Uh, step three would, was to prioritize those things, give them a one, two, or three. Um, you know, uh, uh, turn your car into a mobile university, which we just talked about. The big ones were step six. Are we on five or six? I don't remember. I told you I'd butcher it, but would be at the end of the day to review what you did throughout the day and, and, and say, how did I do when it comes to this sort of uh, productivity question? And then the last one was treat every person like they were a million dollar customer. Every person you meet throughout the day, treat them like a million dollar customer. If you just did that 0.1% better than you did it yesterday, by the end of a year, you'd be a thousand percent improved in productivity. Wow. Isn't that so much knowledge that they can, you know, those guys pass along. And it doesn't take much to make a huge change. Who, sa who says you even need a thousand? Just kind of get after it, my friends. Get after it. Yeah, yeah, get out. I, had to mi I missed yeah, one sure. somewhere, but that's, that's kind of how the brain works. Um, <laughs> probably focus or something like that. Uh, whatever. <laughs> anyways, we're, we're, my coffee's wearing off as yours is turning on. Um, there is no doubt in my mind that we will be doing this again. Oh, I hope so. This is great, man. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me and, on. And I appreciate you being able to uh, get off the Cairo grid and talk about things that are also important um, and do that in an honest fashion. Uh, we don't, we, I try to tell people all the time, chiropractic's not that big of a deal. It's not that important. It shouldn't occupy all of your mind space all of the time. And I know there's people out there that, that it does. If, it, if it's occupying all of your mind space, you're in the rat race, my friend. You haven't yeah, you solved the problem. To. 
Yeah. And you need to, um, you know, work when you're working and then don't work when you're not working. Yeah. What would you say like every, like every three or four months, a new challenge comes up in your mind, like a new way of looking at things. Then you've got a new thing that you might want to tackle. <laughs> I guess it depends. I don't know. Every week. How much I'm, <laughs> every <two days. laughs> I've had, yeah, I have a lot of notebooks filled with a lot of ideas. Yeah. Man. <laughs> good, 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 good. I think it, de- it depends on the input. Like the more input in my mind, the more ideas I get. So I try to, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I have to decrease the input because I just need to focus on doing the work because if I keep reading, I just like have more ideas and then I, <laughs> so yeah. And but, as I've mentioned in the intro, um, mm-hmm. you are going to be joining us at forward 2019 in, in St. Louis. Oh yeah. And uh, hopefully, you know, I've, I given you the green light to talk about whatever you want. I know it's going to be focused on a a topic that is rehab oriented, believe the hip Mm -hmm. and hip Mm -hmm. assessment, but please do mix in your personal experiences, mix in some of this stuff. Uh, Give these people some light and some hope. Um, Awesome people show up to these events. They last year, uh, it was easily my favorite group of people that I've ever seen assembled into one room and we had a great time. So you'll have a great time presenting to them and talking to them after and all that stuff. Um, but I just want them to feel what you would, I, I want them to, to come to my events and when they open that box, they smile. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be, I'll be planning my, uh, my talk quite a bit in advance. So I'm going to put yeah, a lot into of time. It. It's not till September. So we got lots of time. Um, yeah. I look forward to letting everybody know about the T tool because I like it and uh, other people will definitely like it too. And we'll, we'll schedule another one of these in a little bit. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on your show. I yeah. appreciate it. No, absolutely. Bye.